When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When a small town's most beloved citizen is shot to death in his own home. The, the blood on the, the bedroom wall was, was the most striking thing. The good folks of Navasota, Texas, are left shaking in their cowboy boots. Everybody's in fear that, hey, this could happen to me. But when police pick up a piece of crucial evidence. This makeshift mask and these gloves. It points them in a direction they never thought possible. I was shocked. I mean, it really like rocked me back. A killer is unveiled, but it's not the end of this tragic tale. He comes back and he tells us, yes, he made me do it. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Nestled in the Brazos Valley region of Texas lies the quaint community of Navasota. Complete with nostalgic buildings and rustic landscapes, southern charm oozes from every nook and cranny of this comfy little town. If you drive through downtown Navasota, you'll still see uh, the old town, town district. But while time has moved on, Navasota has managed to retain that small-town feel. Made up mostly of farmers and factory workers, folks down here believe in two things, family values and good old-fashioned fun. It is a very close-knit rural community. On Friday nights, everyone in Navasota is at the high school football game, and on Sunday morning, everyone's at church. And one of this community's most tried-and-true residents is 54-year-old Lonnie Turner Sr. He had a contagious smile. He was just always grinning. He, he was real enjoyable to talk to. He had a great sense of humor. Good friend and colleague, 
District Attorney Tuck McLean believes it's Lonnie's ace-high personality that's helped make him a trailblazer in local politics. He broke down some racial barriers. He was built some bridges there that didn't exist before. He was one of the first African-American city councilman. He was the first African-American on the school board. Shaking hands and kissing babies aside, Lonnie Sr. is sincere when it comes to his most cherished constituent, his only son and namesake, 21-year-old Lonnie Jr. The two have been close since Lonnie's wife died a few months back. Lonnie Jr.'s mother had died about a year prior, and so there was really no other known relative. Lonnie Sr. has owned the local funeral home for the better part of three decades, and he does pretty well for himself. That is until the night of November 1st, 2003, when Lonnie Turner Sr. is in need of the very services he once provided. With over a decade's worth of experience, Officer Rob Bailey is good and familiar with the habits of this town. Which is why, on a Friday in November of 2002, the night after a busy Halloween, he is counting on having a nice and leisurely shift. It was an away football game. If the football team was out of town, you were actually pretty slow until the team got back. But no such luck. Just after 11, police receive a frantic call from a young man who says his father has been murdered in their home. I immediately recognized the address. Um, I knew Lonnie's address, so put a sense of urgency in, in responding to the call. Officer Bailey races to the scene. The caller, Lonnie Turner Jr., remains on his cell phone while he frantically drives to the police department. He tells dispatch he had to get out of the house because he thinks the killer might still be there. It's a scary thought for sure, but killer or no killer, it's Officer Bailey's job to check it out. It's kind of that, that, that sixth sense that a police officer has that everybody talks about. There were some things going on that just, uh, just didn't, it didn't sit right. Went around to the back of the house because um, that's always the way that they went in and out. And those instincts are right on. As Officer Bailey makes his way to the back door, he sees someone walking around inside. Could it be their shooter? As careful as can be, he knocks on the door, and as the man walks towards him, he realizes this guy looks pretty familiar. I'd met him a couple times before. I'd recognized as Lawson Turner, who was Lonnie's brother. When Officer Bailey tells him about the 911 call, Lawson appears upset. He tells police he just stopped by for the night and claims he only arrived minutes before. The place seemed to be empty. As a funeral director, it wasn't uncommon for Lonnie Sr. to get called away late at night, so he let himself in. That's when Lawson claims he heard the knock at the door. I was trying to find out exactly what was going on um, because... He didn't know anything about, the, about a deceased person, or at least he was saying he didn't. Officer Bailey's going to have to figure it out for himself. He has Lawson wait outside with another officer and then makes his way into the house. And everything seems as it should until he gets to Lonnie Sr.'s bedroom. I had to walk in a little bit and then 
you could see Lonnie uh, Sr. laying between the bed and the wall. It was obvious to me he was deceased. The sight of Lonnie Sr.'s lifeless body lying on the floor is shocking, even to this seasoned officer. Anytime you respond to a call and you know the person, to me it makes it much more difficult to, to be able to do what I needed to do as a professional. And his job's about to get a whole lot harder. He needs to figure out what to do with Lawson Turner, who is still waiting outside. That thought always has to cross your mind that he could have gotten into an argument with Lonnie Sr. However, if he was a suspect, he was a very good actor. It's too early to tell. So Officer Bailey decides to smoke him out and see how he responds to news his brother is gone. Of course, once I had to tell him that it was Lonnie Sr. who was deceased, um, he immediately broke down. Somebody shot him. Oh, <laughs> it's hard to say if Lawson's reaction is over the top or sincere, but that's for the homicide investigators to decide. And just as Bailey starts to unwind the yellow tape, the Navasota brass begin to arrive. Lead investigator for the Grimes County DA's office, Travis Higginbotham, has seen his fair share of homicides. But this one is different. It's personal. Well, everybody knew him. It touches you, you know, especially with, with him knowing everybody and knowing you. I wouldn't be able to describe it other than it was just devastating. But this hardened detective doesn't have any time to grieve. He's got work to do. As soon as he arrives on the scene, Detective Higginbotham begins to piece together how the murder went down. You look into the bedroom, you see the covers, the blankets and everything off the bed, and you just notice a little bit of blood up on the wall. And as you walk in between the wall and the bed, that's where Lonnie was laying at. To get a better idea of what happened here, investigators need to take a closer look. Uh, we noticed the, the gunshot wounds when he appeared to be shot twice, um, one in the lower abdomen area and one in the uh, upper arm. Now, Detective Higginbotham has something to work with. And once the body is removed, investigators quickly pick up a few pieces of crucial evidence. Of course, we noticed the uh, shell casings up on the nightstand. There was also a shell casing up underneath him. And a look around the rest of the house tells investigators that the attack took place solely in the bedroom. We didn't notice any blood, and there was nothing overturned as far as the chairs or anything of that nature. Now Detective Higginbotham has to answer the question on everyone's mind. You know, who could have done this? Why did this happen to him? Could the killer possibly have family ties? This old dog's been around long enough to know anything is possible. Well, you know, his brother Lawson was here. It is a coincidence that the fact that he shows up, you got a dead body at the house. Lawson's timing is just a little too convenient for Detective Higginbotham's taste. So he wants some more information. We figured Lawson might have knew something or seen something. But Lawson is sticking to his story that he's just as surprised as they are. And he's also putting on quite a show. <laughs> so hearing him cry, uh, it, was just, it was just touching. You know, I felt bad for Lawson. <laughs> but still, I had a job to do. And just when police are fixing to believe the grieving brother, he makes a surprising confession. 
when Lawson told us he had a gun, and we realized that Lonnie had been shot, we wanted to to check into it a little bit further and see what kind of you know gun it was. Detectives don't know if Lawson's putting on an Oscar-worthy performance or if he's just the unfortunate victim of bad timing. But they do know this case just got hotter than a bowl of Texas three-alarm chili. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The once quiet community of Navasota, Texas, is suddenly abuzz when Lonnie Turner Sr. is found shot dead in his own home. Just hours later, news of murder echoes through town. And Lonnie Sr.'s good friend, District Attorney Tuck McLean, struggles to make sense of it. I, I was stunned, first off, and, and, like, and you hear this a lot, you know, I couldn't imagine who would want to hurt Lonnie Sr. And he just might get an answer sooner than later. Lonnie Sr.'s brother, Lawson Turner, was found at the crime scene. And McLean's years of prosecuting criminals 
tells him a little something about that. Most most homicides are committed by friends or family members well, against people they know. So yeah, you, you have family member in the house and a dead body. That's, that's a logical assumption, at least temporarily, to assume this person could very well be our shooter. Luckily, Navasota's finest, Detective Travis Higginbotham, is on the case. And come hell or high water, he's going to get to the bottom of this. His first order of business is to find out what Lonnie Sr.'s big brother is doing at the crime scene with a loaded gun. Lawson was asked by police if he had had any weapons on him. So obviously when Lawson told us he had a gun, we wanted to, to check into it a little bit further and see what kind of you know gun it was. Lawson shows police his car, where the gun is sitting in plain sight on the back seat. We knew that that wasn't the gun that was used at the time uh, because we, we found two shell casings that were for a nine millimeter. So we knew that the, the 32 one revolver wouldn't eject shell casings. But that doesn't mean Lawson is innocent. No, sir. They're gonna need to talk to him down at the station. I had a job to do. I still had to check him as a suspect because I didn't know, you know, it's one of those things, who done it? It's the million dollar question on everyone's mind. Luckily, Detective Higginbotham doesn't have to try and answer it alone. With a case this big, the state is stepping in. The Texas Rangers' primary role uh, is to assist local agencies in the investigations of, uh, of major crimes. Well, I think we have a, a reputation of uh, kind of being rough and tough. Ranger Bryant Wells lives up to this reputation, and then some. You don't get to be one of the third highest-ranking rangers in all of Texas by being polite. When he wants answers, he doesn't ask. He takes. There's always something that's being hidden, and the key is to be able to dig that up and, and uh, you know, bring the truth to the surface. So if Lawson Turner's got anything to hide, Ranger Wells is going to get it out of him faster than a rattlesnake can strike. But as it turns out, the truth comes naturally to Lonnie Sr.'s big brother, even when it comes to explaining why he happened to be at his brother's house when he lives all the way over in Dallas. Lawson is a uh, college football official, and he was going to be officiating a football game in uh, Houston the next day, and he had already arranged with uh, Lonnie Sr. to uh, spend a the night there at that residence before he proceeded on to Houston uh, on Saturday. That all adds up. But detectives just don't understand. How did Lawson manage to walk through the house without noticing anything was wrong? And they get their answer when Lawson tells them his story from that night in heartbreaking detail. Yes, it was lights on in the house. Yeah, I bagged my car in the driveway. And uh, when I first went in, I, I, I looked in his bedroom, and he wasn't in there because uh, he was between the bed and the walls. I guess it was, I guess it was God's plan for me not to see him. Detectives believe he's telling the truth. But to be sure, they ask him to take a polygraph test. I agree. So I don't have anything to add. There's nowhere in the world I would hurt my brother, you know. Lawson passes the lie detector test with flying colors. But not wanting to leave anything to chance, detectives also conduct a gunshot residue test. We swabbed his hands and we submitted that to the lab and it came back negative. So we knew from that test that Lawson hadn't fired a gun that night. What cops first mistook for overacting 
turns out to be sincere. But it's the other family member's response that has their interest now. Shortly after the crime, Lonnie Sr.'s 21-year-old son, Lonnie Jr., drove himself to the station. And when investigators speak with him, they're puzzled by how well he is doing for a young man who discovered his father's dead body. Lonnie Jr., on the other hand, was more nonchalant, wasn't crying, didn't seem visibly shaken up that he, his dad was dead. It's a strange reaction for sure. After all, Junior lived at home and was training to become a mortician, just like his dad. The two were as close as puddin' and pie, or so it seemed. He was very straightforward, uh, not a lot of not a lot of emotion. The kind of the kind of emotion and reactions that we expected uh, uh, expected from someone who had just lost their father and just and found found their father in the way that he reported uh, that he did. And that's not the only thing odd about this fella. Detectives think his choice of words during the 911 call were shady, to say the least. Man, my freaking daddy done been shot or something. I thought that call was a bit strange, uh, uh, the way he referred to his father. And that's not the only head-scratcher. Detectives are downright puzzled by Junior's need to flee and leave his daddy for dead on the floor. You know, you're going to go to their age, you're going to see what's going on. You know, are they okay? Are they breathing? Are they talking? And, and Lonnie didn't do any of that with his dad. Nope. He just up and left. And it's his speedy departure that's got detectives wondering how he knew his daddy done been shot. He just pretty much seen a little bit of blood, assumed he had been shot. And we hadn't discovered that until later on after processing the scene that Lonnie had been shot. Detectives are on the fence with Junior. That is, until they hear what he has to say next. A junior told us that, uh, that once he found his father in the bedroom deceased, that uh, he became concerned for his own safety. He went to his own room, uh, raised the mattress where he kept several handguns, and, uh, and retrieved a 38 pistol and put it in his belt. Junior's looking for sympathy, but all detectives have is suspicion. The kid claims he was scared. But that's kind of hard to swallow when he's got an arsenal under his bed and he's packing at a police station. Lonnie Jr. had a little revolver with him as well that he had in his waistband, and he was carrying that up until the interview. Jr.'s story grows more intriguing with every turn. And it's the next chapter that has detectives hooked. He told us that he also observed a 9mm pistol that belonged to him uh, under that mattress. That pistol had been missing for some time, and uh, it had evidently mysteriously now returned uh, to the location under the mattress. Junior never reported the gun stolen, so detectives don't know if he's telling the truth. But it's asking a lot to believe Junior's gun was missing up until the night it was used to murder his father. So from right on the beginning, I just felt uneasy with little Junior. I thought maybe, you know, there's more to the story than what he's telling us. It's hard to tell fact from fiction in Junior's story, but investigators are pretty sure of one thing. Uh, given the fact we had the shell casings uh, and what the wounds look like, it, uh, it certainly would lead any one reasonable person to believe that that, that likely would be the, be the murder weapon. That's easy enough to prove. It's the rest of Junior's story that'll make detectives earn their paycheck. You know, those, those things, just we simply couldn't make sense of at the time. 
investigators have a lot of questions to answer. One in particular stands out. How far has this apple fallen from the family tree? The dawn of a new day brings talk of murder to the tiny town of Navasota, Texas. And reports of Lonnie Sr.'s heartless killing the night before spread through the community like wildfire. When you have a town this size, you know, you can whisper to one person's ear, and in the time it takes to drive to the other side of town, you'll find someone who's already heard it. Meet Joe Brown. He's been helping to spread the word around these parts since he became a reporter for KBTX-TV way back when. And as a born and bred Navasotan, Joe knows his demo and exactly what they're thinking. Lonnie Turner Sr. was well-loved, and folks in Navasota were thinking, if it could happen to someone who everybody likes, it could probably happen to me. And even though detectives have a suspect, folks might not be all that reassured when they find out who it is. Lonnie Sr.'s son, Junior, has been down at the station all night. He's been busy explaining to detectives how a gun matching the one that killed his father happened to be under his mattress. Well, the story about the pistol uh, being lost and being returned, it was a matter of concern. We didn't really have an answer for why that would be. He's got the means. So investigators wonder if he's also got the motive. Lonnie Sr.'s close friend, District Attorney Tuck McLean, thinks so. There was certainly some animosity between Senior and Junior. Junior was getting where he really, really wanted to step out of his dad's shadow and, and run the business and, and uh, be his own boss uh, and be the man in charge. And that's exactly what's going to happen now that his dad is out of the picture. Junior's shaping up to be a prime suspect in his father's murder. So detectives want to know what he was up to the night before. Lonnie Jr. had given us a, a pretty detailed uh, timeline of, of what he had done that night. It's a long alibi that's going to take some time to check out. Even though detectives are sure they're on the right track, with no hard evidence, they've got to let him go. There was nothing that we had that would allow us to cross that threshold to a point where we could make an arrest. But before he's released... They collect DNA and test Junior's hand for gunshot residue. Although chances are the findings won't be of much help. The gun he carried to the station could affect the results. It came back positive um, that he did have some gun residue present on his hand. He could have got some just by handling the gun. After a long night of interrogations, detectives get a chance to catch their breath. That is until they hear from Tuck McLean. He's been keeping a close eye on the crime scene, and investigators just discovered some new evidence. One of the officers who's securing the scene is just walking around outside smoking a cigarette and sees the mask and glove 25 yards from the house in a ditch. The mask, carelessly made from a gym shoe bag, and the pair of gloves might not be connected to the murder but something has detectives thinking they are. So the accessories are sent off for testing. When somebody has a mask over their face, they're breathing. And so we're hoping that we get DNA off of it. And that just might be their only piece of concrete evidence. Meanwhile, the autopsy results only confirm what detectives already know. 
Lonnie Sr. had suffered two gunshot wounds, uh, either one of which could have been fatal. It tells them about the crime, but not necessarily the killer. So detectives start looking into Lonnie Sr.'s background for anything suspicious. And as it turns out, this isn't the only case he's been involved in recently. There was a separate investigation that had been conducted uh, involving two checks that had evidently been stolen and forged on uh, Lonnie Turner Sr.'s uh, bank account. And this was no random theft. Lonnie Sr.'s godson, James White, also known as J.D., admitted to cashing the checks. Detectives wonder if he also has a motive for murder. They track him down and find out. Hey, was you involved in the death of Lonnie? He denied it. He said he was out with some friends partying at a club in Bryan. J.D.'s friends confirm his alibi. Even though he is a thief, that doesn't mean he's a murderer. With nothing to hide, J.D. happily gives DNA to clear his name. Still looking for another suspect, detectives check Lonnie Sr.'s phone records. And a call received the night of the murder from a woman named Rose Garaldi catches their eye. She confirms she spoke to Lonnie Sr. that night. And police believe she may have been the last person to talk to him. And their phone call that night helps police determine a timeline. So we started looking around 9.15 to the time Lonnie Jr. called the police department, which was around 11.40 that night. As the night of Lonnie Sr.'s last breath comes into focus, one hazy figure still remains. And it's his own flesh and blood, Lonnie Jr. There were a lot of things that, uh, that made him as a suspect in this case. So now, investigators turn their full attention to Lonnie Jr.'s long and complicated alibi. First, he claims he got some food and went to his girlfriend's house to eat. She's there with a girlfriend of hers, and they both confirmed that he was there. But it's no surprise that Junior's girlfriend is willing to provide an alibi. So detectives take it with a grain of salt. Later, Lonnie Jr. insists he made a quick stop at the car wash, where he just so happened to run into a few friends. They did confirm that he was at the car wash, but they were unsure of the time frame. Detectives don't seem to be having any trouble verifying his story. But it's not exactly airtight. There were still some gaps that he could have gone and ran home and committed this crime, but we just wasn't, wasn't for sure. But the major holes were filled with phone calls that Junior seemed to be making nonstop. Looking at his cell phone records, his cell phone was in almost continuous, uninterrupted use for the entire time that we believe the murder occurred. Detectives follow up with everyone Junior talked to that night, and they all agree. There was nothing out of the ordinary in the background during the call, especially not gunshots. But somehow, the more his story checks out, the guiltier Lonnie Jr. looks. You know, the fact that he was trying to, to call people and, and to look like he was on the cell phone or he was somewhere. Convinced he had a role in his father's murder, Detectives keep a close eye on Junior, and he's hardly playing the role of grieving son. He starts showing up with this fancy big boat, you know, these nice cars, driving a Mercedes. Everybody's thinking, you know, why is he doing this? He had to have some involvement in this, the death of his dad. While Junior is living the high life in the wake of his father's death, 
Detective Higginbotham anxiously awaits the results on the would-be murder weapon and makeshift mask. Thankfully, this cowboy's got a good old-fashioned pastime that helps take the edge off. It's kind of nice to get there and go ride, clear your mind, visit with your kids. You just kind of feel free. You just kind of get to thinking about all the things that you should be thankful for in life. But the fun and games always come to an end, especially when there's important business to tend to. The report on Junior's gun is in, and the results are exactly as they suspected. I don't think any of us were surprised that uh, the, that was a weapon that had been used in the murder. But even though it's Junior's gun, District Attorney Tuck McLean isn't ready to make an arrest. This case is personal, and to bring his friend justice, he needs to make sure everything is all buttoned up. You're gonna try to convict somebody of a capital murder, you better do everything you got to do and do it right. But Junior may just be biding his time, and he knows it. He's hired a lawyer, and just about anyone can tell you what that means. But there are certainly those that think if he acts guilty, then he must be guilty. But this is far from over. Before detectives put Junior in their crosshairs, a previous suspect comes back into the picture. Two months have passed since the murder of Lonnie Turner Sr. And the good folks of Navasota are feeling a bit antsy when no arrest has been made. Ranger Bryant Wells and Detective Travis Higginbotham have set their sights on Lonnie Jr. He had the means, he had the guns, and we really weren't able to lock his time frame down completely. But without any concrete evidence, they're stuck in the mud. We were frustrated with this case. And just when they're thinking that all hope is lost, a ray of light peeks through a crack in the case. When we got the DNA back on the mask that we had found at the, the scene there, we, we were just excited. They have good reason to celebrate. The DNA profile just might belong to Lonnie Sr.'s killer. And now they can find out if his very own son was the one hiding behind the mask. They send back all the DNA samples collected so far and make sure to put a rush order on Junior's, of course. It's a waiting game at this point but it gives Ranger Wells time to gain some much-needed perspective. It's a strategy he's good and familiar with. The advantage of doing something like shooting pool, there's so many variables in that game try to work out in your mind before you make that shot. The angles and, and the, the, uh, the speed of the ball. Good, great. But the case is never that far from his mind and he snaps back into action when the DNA results are in. And it looks like detectives still have a lot of work ahead of them. We received DNA results back on that mask, and those results did not match Lonnie Turner Jr. Detectives don't have the evidence to make an arrest, but they aren't convinced Lonnie Jr. is innocent. Oh, it didn't take away the fact that he was still involved or may have been involved in this homicide. But for now... They just can't prove it. So detectives are forced to consider another suspect. Concerned they have been barking up the wrong tree, they reconsider J.D. White, Lonnie Sr.'s godson who stole his checks. And it turns out he has been causing quite a ruckus around town. 
while this investigation was going on, and he had been involved in a strong-armed robbery, he had stolen some money out of a cash register and, uh, and injured an individual in the process. Detectives wonder if J.D. could be the killer they've been searching for the entire time. Things were starting to escalate a little more from just a petty crime to assaulting somebody while you're committing a robbery or a burglary. It's more than detectives need to bring him in. We brought him in for questioning and spent several hours interviewing J.D. And detectives feel like they're definitely onto something when he's in the hot seat. And my immediate assessment of uh, James White was that uh, we weren't getting much, if any, of the truth in what he was telling us. They continue their investigation, and sure enough, J.D. begins to change his story. He says he wasn't with the friends that verified his alibi. He was with someone else. J.D. tells us that he's with another friend of his. They were hanging around that night, and uh, he would be able to confirm his alibi. It's a game-changer for sure, and one that detectives need to follow up on. They release J.D., and make a beeline for his friend's house. And the mere sight of police has J.D.'s friend singing like a canary. He's saying, hey, J.D., just call me. He wants me to tell you all this. And uh, this didn't happen. You know, I, I wasn't with J.D. that night. And uh, I don't know why he's wanting me to lie for you guys. Detectives wonder if they're closing in on a killer when the lab calls. And the news they deliver drops like a bombshell. J.D. White's profile is the one hiding beneath the deadly disguise. When those results came back from the lab, you know, we were all excited. I remember running up to the courthouse and, and letting my boss man know. As an investigator for the Grimes County District Attorney, Detective Higginbotham's boss happens to be none other than Lonnie Sr.'s close friend, Tuck McLean. He says, J.D. White, I said, you're kidding. No. I said, what are we going to do? He said, we're fixing to go get him. And J.D. is back down at the police station before he can say boo. You know, we asked him about the mask. And after hours of interview, he finally comes back and says, you know, hey, I had that mask on. But he insists the mask and the murder are completely unrelated. He claims he can explain why he was wearing it. Detectives listen, but they don't believe a word he is saying. His story was that uh, it was Halloween night, and uh, he had found this shoe bag. He cut the eye holes into the bag with a pair of scissors he conveniently had with him, and uh, then he used that mask to obscure children in the neighborhood. J.D. sticks to his story, but investigators don't let up. And hours later, he starts to show signs of breaking. The investigator and the ranger kept pressuring him. He, he was getting upset. You could see it in him. He wanted to tell us, but he just knew what the consequences would be. With J.D. on the verge of a confession, investigators push him over the edge. And finally, six months after Lonnie Sr.'s murder, J.D. White confesses. He admitted that he was actually the person that pulled the trigger and shot, uh, shot Lonnie Sr. The culmination of all their hard work the confession is a triumph for detectives. We were excited. We got some closure. For Lonnie Sr.'s family, it provides solace knowing his killer has been caught. I was relieved to hear that. And I was just waiting to see it play out and see what happened. But the celebration comes to a screeching halt when J.D. tells detectives the story doesn't end there. 
he insists he merely pulled the trigger. The deadly intentions were not his, but those of a malicious mastermind. J.D. sat back for a minute and was thinking. And he comes back and he tells us, he made me do it. Nearly six months after Lonnie Turner Sr.'s murder, police believe they have his killer in custody. But peace has yet to be restored to the quiet southern hamlet of Navasota. Even though J.D. White admits he pulled the trigger, he tells Detective Higginbotham and Ranger Wells the shots were ordered by a man who stood more to gain from this murder than anyone else. The money, the, the businesses, uh, the homes, the heir apparent to the Turner dynasty, Lonnie Jr., takes center stage in the investigation once again. J.D. essentially said, the only reason I shot and killed my godfather was because my godfather's son had a gun to my head and told me to do it. J.D. insists he is merely Jr.'s patsy. J.D. tells us that Lonnie Jr. picked him up that night and drove him over to the house. Once there, J.D. claims Lonnie Jr. let him in on his plan. He wanted J.D. to kill his daddy so he could get the inheritance. J.D. says that he was kind of hesitant. Man, I don't want to go in there and kill you, daddy. I don't want to kill you, daddy. And Lonnie tells J.D., hey, well, listen, I need to go in there and get some clothes, and we'll leave out. So they go inside the house. And J.D. claims it all went downhill from there. J.D. said he's standing in the hallway. Little Lonnie Jr. comes back out with the gun in his hand and he puts it up to J.D.'s head. He hands J.D. this 9mm and says, you're going to shoot my daddy. J.D. insists that out of fear for his life, he went into Lonnie Sr.'s bedroom, put on the mask and gloves, and shot Lonnie Sr. twice. He said he got scared, he threw the gun down, he took the mask and gloves off and threw it on the, on the floor and left out the house. J.D. claims Jr. chased him down and then drove him back home. And he swears he has no idea how the mask and gloves ended up in the creek or how the gun got back under Junior's mattress. But J.D.'s reasoning for not telling police until now is hardly convincing. He said the reason why he lied to us in the, the prior interviews was because he was scared, didn't know what to do. It was, as, as with all the stories that we've gotten in this investigation, it was, it was strange. But with a possible second killer on the loose, detectives move fast to put the first one behind bars. We then book J.D. into the jail and charge him with murder. But as intriguing as J.D.'s story is, it's just not enough to book Lonnie Jr. You just can't go and, and arrest Lonnie Jr. based off J.D.'s statement. You gotta corroborate everything that J.D. tells you. And when they take a closer look at J.D.'s story, they realize some of the finer points just don't add up. Lonnie Jr. is not stupid by any stretch of the imagination. If you're going to hire somebody to kill your father, you do it so you can be somewhere else, not so you can be standing there and watching. So they go back to Lonnie Jr.'s alibi, which convinces them J.D. is just trying to share the burden of cold-blooded murder. We came back to the same issues that we had had in the past, and that's the fact that we weren't able to, to put Lonnie Jr. there because of his, his timeline that night. But what really seals the deal are Jr.'s phone records that prove he was talking on his cell phone nearly the whole night. 
it doesn't seem plausible that uh, Lonnie Turner Jr. would have been standing there pointing a gun at J.D. White, holding his cell phone to his ear, giving him orders to kill the father while he's talking to, talking to the girlfriend. Detectives clear Lonnie Jr. once and for all. Focusing all their attention on J.D. White, detectives know they've got their man this time. We believe that he was responsible for shooting Lonnie Turner Sr. J.D. had provided details of that uh, crime scene that nobody knew about in the public. So we knew he was there. We knew that he was involved. It was the insider information about the shooting itself that makes detectives believe J.D. is their culprit. The public didn't know that he was shot in bed and he rolled and fell in between the bed and the wall. Um, J.D. knew those answers. And it becomes District Attorney Tuck McLean's job to prove it. When J.D. White goes to trial for first-degree murder in October of 2003. But the case isn't an easy sell. Two consecutive trials end in a hung jury, and eventually, prosecutors settle for a plea bargain that puts J.D. behind bars for 25 years. We'll let him sit in prison for a while and, and really think about what happened here. There's not any question in my mind that, uh, that J.D. White's responsible for, for Lonnie, uh, Lonnie Sr.'s death. He's the right man, and, and uh, he should have been charged. J.D. White maintains he did not kill Lonnie Sr. by himself. However, he did admit to pulling the trigger when he pled guilty to conspiracy to commit capital murder. Police will never know the whole story, but they do know this. Armed with Junior's 9mm gun, J.D. shot and killed Lonnie Turner Sr. As the shooting started, he rolled across the bed and tracked him across that bed uh, and continued to fire, striking him uh, twice as, uh, as he rolled across the bed toward the wall. And he would have gotten away with it if it weren't for the mask and gloves hastily discarded after the murder. But having Lonnie Sr.'s killer behind bars is of little comfort to his family, who still struggles to understand why his life was cut short. Hey, I know that uh, we enjoyed each other, that we had a great time together. We just wonder why did he end this way, you know? But Lonnie Sr.'s untimely death isn't the only thing he's remembered for. His legacy still lives on. A pioneer, somebody who really broke ground um, in a community, uh, who built a lot of bridges over racial divides uh, and opened up opportunities for African-Americans that weren't open before. Life in Navasota has pretty much returned to normal. But without Lonnie Sr., it will never be the same. I think today, you, 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 the community probably isn't as close-knit as it would have been had he still been alive. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.